The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod, and we're coming to you live from many places around the country today. So thrilled to be here with you on this Thursday morning, November 5th. We're doing a quick shout out to a dear friend of the show, Therese McLaughlin, uh, who's been a lifelong friend of mine and who's helped us so many times when we've gone to live events. If you've ever been to a live event with us, and there's like this wonderful redheaded woman who is often at our booth, who is like laying on the floor and let children, letting children paint her face. That is my friend, Therese McLaughlin. And I always say to you guys here on the show, there's, there's nothing better than having an ally who's in your corner, who is amazing and who loves your, loves you and loves your kiddos the way they deserve to be loved. And that is Therese McLaughlin. So we're saying happy, happy birthday to her. Um, and thank you for indulging me in that. <clears throat> Good morning and welcome everyone. And already I'm saying hello to Christina. Thank you for being here with us live. We're so excited to be here. You know, I don't know if you guys are fans of the show, This Is Us. And if you had a chance to see their big, um, season debut uh, the other day, it was a week ago, Tuesday. It was a two hour special and I, I love that show and I love everything about it. And I love that now that they're doing a season in 2020, it's the first time that I've seen a show really effectively deal with how we all are in this pandemic and people wearing masks and it, and it covers that period of time. And, and um, there was uh, one scene in particular where um, the one young man comes and says to one of the stronger people on the show, I don't want to give things away. I don't want to spoil anything for you guys, but he says, how are you? And the dad is kind of like, you know, why are you asking me how, how I am? And he says, because in these current circumstances, it's important. They say that it's important to ask your strong friends how they are. And so I'm asking you today, how are you? Because you guys are the strongest people I know, hands down. So how are you? How are you today? How are things going? Are you doing okay? Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm sending you hugs and love and I hope you're doing okay today. But this is a safe space and you can bring whatever, whatever you have uh, to be here safe. Avani wants to know, are we able to view the webinar at a later time? So I want to make you aware of the fact that today... Um, and thank you for bringing that up, Avani. Uh, later on today, we've got a great show for you first this hour, but later on today, Autism Live is co-sponsoring a town hall event that everyone is invited to. Uh, you have to register for it, but it's a free registration. But because it's on Zoom, you have to register so that you can get the code and we don't have people who just want to come and, you know, disrupt. Um, the, the topic of the webinar is conservatorship, and we have a wonderful family attorney, uh, family law attorney, Indu Srivastav is going to be with us, and she's going to first talk about conservatorship in general, then she's going to talk about conservatorship specifically in California, because each state has different laws, and she will give resources for where you can find out what the laws are in your state if you're not in California, and then there will be a question and answer period. We will be recording it. I just want to give the asterisk that uh, we hope that we will be able to make it public later. I, I know that we had attempted to do that once before with one of our town halls and we had an issue because um, people were asking questions and we uh, somebody asked a question and, and gave basically their phone number. And so therefore I could not share um, the, the recording because 
I couldn't give that person's phone number out. So we're, we, we think that we have found a way that that cannot happen tonight. And it is my hope that it will be recorded and that we will be able to show you, but you know, I like to be open and honest, um, that it will depend on that, but we, everything has to go well with the recording and nothing that could potentially give somebody's personal information. And if that is the case, then we will be able to make that available. So yes, you have to catch up on this is us. I really thought it was an amazing, um, obviously it wasn't on this week because of the election, but it'll be back next week. And I said to my husband, there was something so healing about watching television with people who are wearing masks and, you know, dealing with the same kinds of things that we're all dealing with and, uh, and having considerations about, you know, okay, well, this person went there, do, you know, do we have to quarantine before being, spending time with them? I just thought it was very well done. And, um, I so appreciate my soul needed it. You know what I'm saying? So anyway, we're, um, yes. And thank you for what somebody said, trying to survive the moment. And I think that's, that's everybody. But you know what I always say here, that it's so important that we not only survive, but we have to at least be trying to thrive, right? Um, and that's hard some days. And some days it's just not possible. But whenever possible, I remember years ago, it was a very transformative moment for me that somebody was talking about how in your life you have ups and downs. And they were showing this chart that had the up, down, up, down, up, down. And it said, you know, your you, things are, and I thought, boy, this really is indicative of my life. You know, things are going really well and then something happens and it's like, Rrr. And then you get it back together and things get, you know, right? And they were saying how important it is that there will, this is everybody's life, right? You, you find something happens. And then if nothing else, when things go bad, try to maintain as much as you can so that instead of going like this, when you pick up again, maybe you're here and then you can go from there and that the, your trajectory of making progress is better. And I know that we certainly found that to be a really effective way of looking at things that every day couldn't be filled with progress, but if we could maintain till we could get to the next, next place of progress, that that helped a lot. And that's what I mean about trying to thrive. Um, so, uh, uh, okay. People are saying, some people are saying that they're feeling better. This is all good. Well, I'm really excited that you're here with us today. And I want to talk about, for those of you who might be new to the show, this show is meant to be interactive. We really want to hear from you. So let's talk about some of the different ways that you can be a part of the show and be a part of the conversation, which we really want to be having with you. Right now, we are live on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter, on Periscope, and on our homepage, autism-live.com. And we will be live for the rest of this hour. Later on, we will also be recorded in all of those locations that you'll still be able to catch the recording of what we do during this hour. But we will also... At, you know, within the next few hours, we will podcast the entire episode off to iTunes, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Ghana, which I love, Amazon Music, uh, Google Podcasts, Audible, Deezer, and many other places. Uh, in fact, we are in as many places that we know of that we can be a free download. We are free in all of those places, and you can subscribe, you can like. We love it when you review us on iTunes. That's a wonderful way to let the world know about us. We are um, we don't spend money on promotion. We count on you guys to be our grassroots promotion. So if you like the show, uh, express it to other people and let them know, hey, I watched the show. You might like it um, because that's how people find us. And we appreciate when you do. If there is a place that you like to get your podcast and you don't see it on that list, check to see because we can't, we've run out of space. Uh, check to see if we're available on the way that you like podcasts. And if you see that we're not, please let us know because we like to be in as many places as possible because our, our mission here is to provide information and inspiration. And that is for what we call here the larger autism community. Starts, of course, with individuals on the autism spectrum. They are the living, breathing heart of our community, right? Um, and they're the reason why we're all here. But that larger community that we include is everyone who loves those individuals, loves them and wants for them to have all the rights, dignity, opportunities, and respect that they deserve, right? So we're talking to that entire community and trying to help that entire community with information and inspiration to be able to not only survive, but to hopefully thrive. 
it's different for everyone. This playing field is not level. And so it helps us when you write in, if you, if you're, especially if you have a question, if you tell us what part of the world that you're in, um, and that way we might be able to tell you about different resources in different places. And I'm sending my love to Ian, who's got a headache and I'm hoping that that subsides for you. Uh, but thrilled that you're here with us. I hope we don't add to the headache. <laughs> I, I never, I never want to be the cause of a headache. Uh, but I'm sure that I have been before at IEP meetings in particular. Anyway, so thrilled. It's such a privilege to be here. You know, we always say that we have lots of experts that are on the show. Oh my goodness, have I got a great expert for you today. Uh, and we're going to talk about him in just a second. But I just want to point out to you, we do have lots of experts here on the show. I always like to remind you that I'm not one of them, that that just isn't my, my shtick. I'm not an expert in autism. I'm, I'm not an expert in, I don't know, anything really. Uh, I, you know, I, I know a little about a lot of things, but not an expert now. So why am, why am I here? Well, uh, I'm here because I am a former teacher and I am the mom of an individual who was diagnosed with autism at the age of two and a half. And I want to make sure that none of you feels alone. And I want to make sure that you all get heard and that you have an opportunity to ask questions of experts early on when my son was diagnosed, I just wanted to know more. I wanted to understand. I wanted to help him. And I wanted to give him the brightest future that he could have. And I would see these conferences and they, you know, they were like $225, which to me at that point in time was, they might as well have been held on the moon. You know, there was no way that I could get together $225 and uh, someone childcare to watch my child and know that they would be okay with him and he would be okay with them. Like how on earth was I going to do that? And I, I remember feeling left out and like I was alone and that I had failed. And part of what we try to do with this show and what we've been doing now um, on this show and another show I used to host called Everyday Autism Miracles is give people an opportunity to ask the questions that they would have asked if they had been at a conference and to bring guests that are amazing and at conferences that you might not otherwise have an opportunity to hear from. And we're certainly hitting that out of the park today with that. So I encourage you, write in your questions, comments, concerns, whatever you have. We, on all the platforms that I listed, um, you know, when you're watching us live, at least on YouTube, Periscope, Twitter, and Facebook, you can write in on those platforms and it shows up right here for me in real time, which is a big treat. We're loving, we've had some technical difficulties on this format, but we're loving that aspect of this. So we're working through those technical issues. I will tell you if you're watching us in podcast or listening to us in podcast, that writing your questions into us at autism-live.com, there's a chat at the bottom. And I always check that before the live show. Um, that's a great place for you to ask your questions if you're watching us recorded. So just keep in mind, lots, lots of experts. I'm not one of them, but I care so very deeply about making sure that you guys get access. That's really what, what I'm about here. Okay. Now on Thursdays, before we get to our guests, we always like to do the jargon of the day. This is when we take on one word, one phrase, one acronym. We try to figure out what in the hey, nani nani, are the experts talking about? What does this have to do with me? Why should I care about this? Why am I having to learn a whole new alphabet? And believe me, I've got some alphabet coming at you in just a few minutes here. I hope it's not going to make Ian's headache worse. Uh, but so he, let's start with our jargon of the day, BIP, or some of us call it the BIP. Um, <laughs> It is, that is not what the experts like to call it. They call it the BIP. Let's take a look. First, we give you the actual definition and whenever possible, I like to make fun of it because you know, what else do you have to do in this life? And then we like to give you the working definition so that you can begin to understand how this could be a tool for you to use to get to a better place. I always say, if it can save you five minutes and $5, hey, it might be worth learning what the term is. This one is pretty important because it can be a matter of life and death. So let's take a look at what BIP or BIP stands for. A BIP is a behavior intervention plan. 
It's an action plan based on observations made in an FBA, which we learned the other day is a functional behavior assessment that outlines how a team will improve difficult behavior that is inhibiting a child's success in school and other environments. Okay. I think we understand if we know what an FBA is, which is a, you know, that's a climb in and of itself. We sort of understand, okay, it's, so it's a planned, you know, behavior intervention plan. It's a plan to, um, intercede with certain behaviors. But let's take a look at what our working definition is here to see if, and, and I think this will be very interesting in light, in light of who our guest is today. So a BIP is an essential process that helps us understand why a challenging behavior is happening so that we can change it effectively. And I don't even like the wording of that, and I'm sure that our guests may take some issues with that as well, but I think that he'll love the fact that it's about understanding why a challenging behavior is happening. Um, because we know here on the show that behavior does not happen in a vacuum. There are lots of people who look at a behavior and go, well, oh, that's just a random behavior. There's no such thing. And and people will say, oh, well, someone is behaving that way because they have a diagnosis of autism. And that is, there's no such thing. Um, that people engage in behavior as a means of, means of communication. And if we don't know why a behavior is happening, then we're not going to be effective at anything, at, at being compassionate about that behavior, about making that behavior something that's more useful to the individual and something that's less disruptive. Um, and so it's really important and I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled because we're going to talk with our guest today and he's going to talk about this. I, I know, um, this is a subject that's very near and dear to his heart is why is the behavior happening? So, but what I want to focus on right now, before we have him join us is the fact that if your child is attending school, and I know a lot of you have, you know, your, your children are having, um, your school at home right now. But when they're attending school, it's really important that you have a behavior intervention plan that's effective and that is safe and that it be um, something that everybody understands and that they understand that, that it is something that must be implemented and that they not just pick some random way of dealing with a behavior that happens. This is when kids get hurt. I you know, we've been doing this show for almost 10 years and, and across that 10 years, I, it just breaks my heart. Every time we see another story about a kid at school who's been handcuffed, like a third grader being handcuffed because people did not know what they were doing. And I think it's incumbent upon all of us to really be proactive in asking for a, a really good, solid behavior intervention plan that is thoughtful, that is person-centric, that is individual, that looks at why the behavior is happening and has science-based things that help to deal with the behavior. Because some behaviors that happen in a classroom are um, things that have the potential to be a danger to the child or to other children, yeah? And, and we need to be able to have a plan but if you don't start with the why, you're dead in the water. And I don't think there's anybody who is going to agree more with that than perhaps our guest today, who I'm going to introduce in just a second. I'm building the suspense. Uh, but if th those of you who have been watching our social media, you know who's going to be on the show. Let's move on to our question of the day. Don't forget, if you do have a behavior intervention plan, make sure there is a box on your IEP and that you check the box behavior intervention plan is attached to the IEP that makes it part of the legal document that must be followed. Super important to know that. So our question today is how do you spend your free time? What do you like to do with your free time? And that might be different than it used to be uh, if you are living in a place like I am where we are still social distancing to the max. So write in and let us know how do you spend your free time? I love hearing how people... Um, take time for themselves. Cause I think as we get older, especially for, uh, for those of you who may be caregivers, we forget, we forget how to enjoy our free time. We forget how to utilize it. So I love it when you guys write in and say how you do your free time, because that sort of primes the pump for the rest of them. We go, Oh yeah, I used to love to do that. Why don't I do that anymore? Could I find five minutes to do that? Which is a super important thing to do for all of us. 
Okay, uh, moving on, we have a topic of the week and our topic this week, I don't remember what it is, I can't remember. Oh, right, acceptance versus contentment. And I think that, uh, how could I forget? Because this is one of the most important things in an important week. We have to remember that we can rail against the things that we are unhappy with in life, right? We can do that. It's not very effective, but we can spend all of our time being in a place where, why did this happen? I, I do love the story that when Oprah Winfrey was being, um, she was in court for having said something on her show about the fact that she wasn't going to eat uh, meat anymore, that she was going to become a vegan. And the meat association was taking her to court. I don't know, I, you know, I don't, I don't know all the ins and outs of it, but it was a long drawn out court process and she had to move her show to Texas and it, and she was really struggling with it. She was struggling and, and she just was like, why is this happening? I don't understand why this is happening. Why is this happening? And they brought in this psychologist to talk to her. And he said to her, you need to like move off of the page of why is this happening? It's happening. And you can sit there and be in the why, but you're not getting, you're spinning your wheels and you're not getting anything done. You need to get into the page of what I'm going to do about it. You don't have to be happy about it, but you need to accept that it is happening and stop trying to, you know, revisit the past about why. Um, so we want to see why about behaviors, but in life with big things, we, you know, we want to look at the why, but not be stuck there. Right. And, uh, he was getting, he said, you don't have to be, uh, in contentment, but you have to get into acceptance. And there's a big difference. You don't have to like what's happening. Um, but you have to accept that it's happening. And I have found that to be a really wonderful way to get back into action. Say, oh, okay, it's happening. What can I do? Oh, okay. Now I've got something to do instead of just being stuck. So who was the psychologist who came and said that to Oprah? Well, that was Dr. Phil. And that's how he became Dr. Phil because he told her to snap out of it and to accept that it was happening and to get into the phase where she could decide what she wanted to do about it. And I know as a parent of an individual on the autism spectrum, there were many times that I got stuck I got stuck in the, you know, oh, you know, what, what will become of us? And that's easy to do. There's a lot going on. But as soon as I would say, okay, you know, well, this is where we are. This is realistically where we are. I don't have to like it, but I have to acknowledge this is where we are. Now, where do I want to get to? And how do I want to get there? And what am I going to do about it today? Then I had a better day. And uh, for me, that's the difference between acceptance versus contentment. If you can accept where you are, you don't have to like it. I think you'll find it's a quicker path to get into a place of, okay, so what do I want to do about it? What would I like to change? Do I have the ability to change it? And how could I start changing it today? Uh, wonderful. All right. So uh, really quick, because we're, we're past time. I can't believe I went over. But today on the show, and it's we've had him on the show before, but only when we've been at a live event before. So it's the first time we've had him on our regular sit-down show. I just don't know why. But we have Dr. Barry Prezant. We've been talking about this all week long. He's an author, speaker. He's a professor. Uh, he's internationally recognized as an expert in the field of autism. And I'll go one better. The thing about Dr. Barry Prezant is that he is a bit of a unicorn in that we have this big diverse community and we talk about this all the time on the show that we don't always agree on everything, right? And there are different you know, people who will champion one person and other people who will champion another person. But the thing about Dr. Barry Prezant is I'm not aware of anybody who doesn't like him in the autism community. And that's pretty remarkable. Uh, folks who are, who are self-advocates love him, parents and caregivers love him, and, I, you know, I think the press loves him. So um, that's a pretty unique thing in this community to be so well-loved. So we're so uh, excited to welcome to the show Dr. Barry Prezant. Hi, Shannon. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing fine. I've never been called a unicorn before, though. Well, anyway, <laughs> now, now you're going to have to get a unicorn pin or something. That's right. But I think you understand what I'm saying. It's very difficult in this community to be, 
to be someone that both caregivers love and that individuals who are on the spectrum and uh, and identify themselves as self-advocates, sometimes those two groups have a hard time seeing things at all similarly, you know? Mm -hmm. And for you to be well-loved and respected by both is pretty remarkable. Do you feel that on a daily basis? Um, I do, sometimes in very concrete ways. Um, for example, my book, Uniquely Human, it, it's amazing when I look at, and I think it, there's a, well over a thousand, you know, ratings and comments on Amazon now. And as you said, and, and this truly, truly was a surprise to me. You know, I thought I was writing it primarily for educators and parents, mm -hmm. but people on the spectrum, school administrators, uh, parents of adult children on the spectrum, uh, it, it's been very widely embraced. And, and I think you know, as you were just describing that, I think I do have a hunch as to why I feel what I say kind of connects with a broad audience. Yeah. And, and that is what I call my four worlds of autism. Um, and let me just begin by saying I don't have a child or a family member, um, a close family member on the spectrum, but I was a caregiver starting out working in summer camps where I was responsible for many years as a teenager and young adult for the care and the happiness of children and adults, many of whom had spectrum, if not diagnoses, they were on the spectrum. We're talking about late yeah. 60s, early 70s. Yeah. We've been doing, I've worked closely with parents for years. We've been doing a parent retreat weekend for close to 25 years, um, where we uh, take 60 parents to a beautiful setting. And I do that hand in hand with parents who run a, par a family support agency. Um, I've been in academia, I've published research. So I've kind of had a lot of different, I've had my hands in a lot of different worlds of autism, um, which, and I've worked in a psychiatric hospital. I consult to public schools. I consult to early intervention programs. I consult to adult support programs. So I've just been out there a lot, which I think has sensitized me to the experiences and needs of a very broad audience. Yeah, I mean, I, I want to say to you that I think that you, um, it's that perspective taking piece. And I think that you have a, a wonderful insight into, as you say, those four worlds of autism, because you've been there, you've been there and been next to people. Um, and someone is saying that you get to be a double unicorn because you also get the two E kids. That's what uh, somebody has written in and said, which I love. So uh, we didn't, I didn't even finish int introducing you because you, you're Dr. Barry Prezant and you have a lot of letters after your name. Yes. And, uh, and I was saying earlier, I said, we're going to, we're going to alphabet land. So, and I, I want to take a second to talk about all the letters because I think it does give you unique insight. So tell us what all the letters after your name mean, Dr. Brignan. Yeah. Well, well, this gives me a, a chance to be self-indulgent and talk a little bit about my big influences. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, first of all, my undergraduate degree, um, was in psycholinguistics. And at the time, it was an area developing rapidly. And psycholinguistics has to do with understanding the relationship with how we think, how we perceive the world, and then how we talk about that and communicate that. Um, and within my undergraduate years, I was exposed to courses where we spoke about well, what happens when language does not develop the way we had hoped it, it would develop, or communication does not develop in that way. And then that led me into a master's degree in speech and language pathology and a doctorate in communication disorders. So the letters are CCC hyphen SLP, which means I'm certified by the American Speech and Hearing Association. But one more quick comment. When people say, oh, so you're a speech pathologist and that's what you focused on. Mm. I say, no, I focused on, and in my coursework, most of my doctoral coursework was in child and human development. So I learned about how all children learn to speak, learn language, how all children learn to play, how all children learn to relate, how all children learn to come to understand their emotions and their emotional experience. And I was able throughout my whole career and still to this day, use that rich understanding of child and human development to understanding people on the autism spectrum. Yeah, and I, I so appreciate you uh, saying that because I do think that sometimes people go to a speech and language pathologist expecting 
to get what they got in your book, uh, Uniquely Human. And I mm. think that often they're disappointed that, um, you know, maybe you luck out and it's, a, it's somebody who's uh, a speech and language pathologist who's read your book, but they're not going to have your wealth of knowledge that you have. So I mm. think it's important to distinguish that. But let's talk a little bit about the book because it has been so well received. It's not a, it's not mm. a new book that's out, but it's Uniquely Human. And it's so respected, though, in the community, Dr. Prezant. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, um, you know, it's that thing where I think everyone who reads it finds their place in your book mm-hmm. and, um, because of your perspective. And, and I think it's been a huge addition to the autism community because of your unique point of view. We were doing, I don't know if you saw when we were doing the jargon of the day, and one of the things that we were talking about for the behavior intervention plan, I said, you know, finding out the why the behavior is happening is so important. And you, I think you've been like the, the voice of reason in a world where there's so much arguing about which way to go. Mm. Um, But talk a little bit about why the why is important. Mm -hmm. First of all, let me give credit where credit's due. Um, The why, and what I refer to the deep why, because I think there's a difference between the functional behavioral assessment why Mm-hmm. where a student or a person is trying to obtain something or avoid something or it's sensory. Um, I see that it's a why, it's a step in the right direction, but I still, you know, with all due respect to many people, I see that as a very superficial. That, for example, we could talk, we could say, well, a child, you know, bolts out of his desk and runs down the hallway and that's escape-motivated behavior. And you say, well, that's, the reason he did it to escape. The deep why is, why is he putting so much energy into escaping? Yeah. Is, is that the academics are too difficult? Is it that he's what we refer to as a high arousal child? In other words, he's got so much energy and, and he just can't sit still for a half hour. So maybe we should give him a break every 15 to 20 minutes to move his body. So that that's the deep why. And giving credit where credit's due, um, I begin Uniquely Human by talking about a woman um, with autism from England, Roz Blackburn, mm-hmm. who, uh, it's a long story how I got to know her, but I brought her over to the United States to speak three times. We've presented together. We traveled, actually. Um, at one point, she and Carol Gray, who developed social stories, and I did workshops together mm-hmm. because I entered, I met her through Carol. And, and she says, um, and, and she's well into her 40s now. I have not seen her for a few years, but... Um, there was a period of time where we were together almost every two years here in the States. Mm-hmm. And, and she would say, you know, Barry, uh, when people never asked why I did things, why I rocked, mm-hmm. okay? Why sometimes I, and this is her phrase, I didn't want to do social, okay? I don't want to do social tonight, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that she felt that people were not showing her the same respect that you would show a young, typically developing child. They would say, Roz, that's good behavior. Or Roz, that's not good behavior. Roz, you had good behavior last night. I know you could show good behavior now. And what Roz would say is, look deeper. Try to understand my experience. You know, maybe, like, for example, if we did a workshop together, and this is a true story, a workshop together in New York City one day, and she's a marvelous presenter. Um, say, hey, Roz, why don't we go? There's a great restaurant down the street. No, no, uh-uh. I'm, I'm staying in my room and I'm getting room service. Oh, come on, Roz, we're in New York City, okay? Because I grew up in New York, so I know the city well. And actually, I don't want to do social tonight. <laughs> and, then, and then she would explain that how being social is so overwhelmingly exhausting to her. And it's the same for some of us. I mean, I'm, I'm a little bit more of an introvert in real life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I get exhausted easily by having to make small talk at parties, not to the level that people on the spectrum get exhausted. So there's a lot of talk right now, actually, in the self-advocate community about, you know, how much being able to monitor your energy level and respect your energy level and know when you need a break and know yeah. when you need to say, I'd rather not do that because the pro- that, that could lead to meltdowns if you're constantly being pushed to be in an environment that sucks all your energy out and people still expect you to do that. I mean, that's why young kids, young typically developing kids have tantrums. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah. It, 
and, and not tantrums, actually meltdowns. It's this distinction between tantrums and meltdowns. But um, yeah, so the why is is so important. I think when we keep on asking, what I mean by the why, just to kind of sum this up here, is to the to the extent that we could do it, can we try to understand that person's experience? Yeah. Not just put the behavior in a category. You know, that's not compliant behavior. That's escape motivated behavior. I like to say, you know, oh, well, you just call that child not compliant. There could be six to 10 reasons why he's being non compliant, meaning that he's not responding and following a request that you're making. It could be he's afraid of what you're asking him to do. It could be that he finds it boring. I don't want to do that again. I can go on and on. I can give you six reasons off the top of my head, which means that we need to change what we do to address the issue, the way we teach. Maybe it's the physical environment. You know, maybe it's not that he's not paying attention. Maybe it's because he's hearing a sound down the hallway that we could hardly hear, but he's hypersensitive to the sound and he could hear it. Yeah. It's a lot of detective work. I love though that in your book, Uniquely Human, you constantly give examples of the fact, you know, example of a, a time when you've run into this. So we see a lot of different kids and teens and adults in your book and we can relate to them, but you also always relate it back to the fact that we all do this behavior to some extent, whatever it is that you're saying, like, like saying just now that, you know, oh, I'm the same way that I can be very social. Like I can do the social thing, but I have a limit of how much I can do. And then I need to shut off, turn off. And, or I know that I, I'm not going to feel well. Um, And, and you remind us a lot. I, I, you know, I, I read your book years ago and then I was rereading it um, this week before um, doing this interview with you. And I don't know, uh, we didn't have a chance to talk beforehand, but one of the things that I, I know a lot of us have been upset about in the last month, I don't know if you heard anything about this show, Big Brother, that they were doing and, and there was a contestant on Big Brother that identified himself as being on the spectrum. He had won the, the thing years ago, uh, but now he was back doing the All-Stars. And Ian, the young man who identifies himself as being on the spectrum, demonstrated behaviors like rocking, right? Um, and things like that. And there were at least two people on the show who took issue and took exception to his rocking and said that it was weird and that it was off-putting to them. And then they showed a, a, a video with, with all of them, all the contestants sitting there, including the two people who said that it was weird and off-putting and before something that was very nerve-wracking. And if you look down the line, each and every one of them was doing something. Exactly. The, one of the people who said, you know, his uh, rocking puts me off, she, her foot was going a million miles a minute. Right. And, and I love that in your book, you bring this up and say, hey, this is all of us. Yes. And that if, if you're put off by the rocking, it needs to start with you. Yes. You need to like figure out why is that bothering you before you even approach with looking at why is that individual rocking? What is it doing for them? Why is it necessary for them? So I love that part of it because I think so often people are so judgmental and not looking inward. Um, And you give us all the opportunity and uniquely human to take a look at all aspects of that. And I certainly feed on that. But the book, you know, we really want to encourage people to get the book. It, um, like I said, it's not new, but it's still so relevant. So uh, obviously we can get it on Amazon, uh, pretty much every major bookseller, correct? And it's also been translated into 18 languages. <gasps> nice. Well, that's so pretty it's, fabulous. It's in a lot of places. And, and you know, I'll, I'll just say with some pride, but it's a fact. It's been just riveted in number one on Amazon per, for the last couple of years. Um, and, and I think it's, you know, to, just to encapsulate what you said, to bring it together, a major takeaway that I tried to really infuse in the book is that there's no such thing as autistic behavior. It is all human behavior. Exactly. Um, and I think in practice, you know, what you just said, what they, I didn't see that Big Brother show, and, but I'm so pleased that they demonstrated that a lot of what they thought was weird, quote unquote, autistic behavior in different ways, they were doing it. But the deeper why is, why are you doing that? And in many cases, a lot of so-called repetitive self-stims, and this is being validated by adults right and left on the spectrum Mm -hmm. now, Mm -hmm. are self-regulatory. 
It helps exactly. you put energy out. It helps you deal with anxiety. We can just go on and on and on. So let me just share something. And this is what I love about what's happened with my book. I get the most interesting notes and letters from people. Literally yesterday, and without letting any confidential information out, I got this long email. Sometimes I get these emails and I look, open them up and say, oh boy, this is long, I have to read it. It, <laughs> it was an incredible story from a 58-year-old woman on the spectrum who was diagnosed two years ago, who's married, has a good life, but she spoke about how she always had so much anxiety and so many issues and she had a lousy kind of self-image. And then she spoke about how she was literally physically abused due to her self-stims when she was a kid. Oh. Um, and she said, I was traumatized. And a lot of people, mm. on, adults on the spectrum now are talking about the trauma they experienced. I'm not saying all of it, but to some degree, a certain percentage of that trauma had to do with what they were doing to try to calm themselves, self-regulate, rock, pace, stare at their fingers. And people, even though the intentions might've been good, you know, you look a little different. I don't want you to look different. Now, when people try to extinguish that behavior or give them negative feedback and say, and try to correct them all the time, it shattered their sense of who they were as people. It shattered their sense of being comfortable with who they were. And it was taking away the strategies that they were using to try to deal with a chaotic, busy world around them. Yeah. I mean, we certainly have talked uh, on the show many times before about uh, in the present day, the difference between, uh, and, and we probably are not going to agree entirely on this, but I, just so you know, Dr. Prasant, I'm a huge fan of really good quality ABA. Uh -huh. uh, because that's what my son had and um, mm -hmm. that helped us tremendously. So, uh, but, but I always draw the distinction here on the show between really good quality ABA and the schlocky ABA that is mm -hmm. being passed off as ABA right now, where they don't take, where it's cookie cutter, where they don't take into consideration the individual, where they're not looking at the why. Um, and, and I know that um, I, I really want to pivot to talking about certs. And, sure. I, and I would love it if you would talk about certs uh, on its own, but then maybe to give a little bit of a comparison because people will write in and they'll, they kind of want to know the difference. Like what's the difference between teach and for instance, um, RDI and floor time and I mean, and ABA and certs and all, a lot of people out there are confused. So mm. do you want tell us about certs and maybe compare it to some of the other things that are out there? Sure. Um, and just to give you a quick and dirty answer, actually, uh, in the certs manuals, we mm -hmm. have a whole chapter on comparing certs to mm -hmm. other approaches. Now, that was written more than 15 years ago, okay? But it still is very relevant. So certs um, is- Tell us what it stands for first. Yeah, certs is an acronym, and it stands for what we believe are the three domains that must be the highest priorities for people on the spectrum, but not just people on the spectrum people who have challenges in social communication and in staying well-regulated emotionally and physiologically, okay? And that's where we believe, you know, problem behaviors come from. When you have problems staying well-regulated emotionally and physiologically, you know, it's uh, Eric Schopler who started the Teach Model. I, I knew most, you know, most of these people. Eric passed away a number of years ago. He always used the, and the Teach people use the analogy of the tip of the iceberg. When you're seeing the behavior, you're not seeing what's underlying that, the anxiety, the fear, the sensory sensitivities, something that we call negative emotional memories. I talk about in the book. Let's get away from that now. So CERT stands for the three domains that we believe that really need to be front and center uh, for people on the spectrum and other disabilities. We know that research for decades has indicated one of the best indicators or what's called predictors of kids and people doing well is progress in social communication. Um, and let me just say this quickly, progress in social communication doesn't mean saying longer and longer sentences. I mean, that may be a part of it because as you know, many of our kids could memorize longer and longer sentences when they're shown pictures. Progress in social communication is knowing how to engage people, share emotions, share information, 
and engage people over reciprocal interaction. So you have some non-speaking people on the spectrum who have higher social communication abilities than some speaking people on the spectrum mm -hmm. because they can get their needs met. They could share how they're feeling by using a computer, a speech generating device, an iPhone or whatever it might be. So social communication is, the, is one of the domains. Uh, and that also has to do with play development. And that's what underlies relationships, you know, developing positive relationships with peers, with other people. Emotional regulation is the ER of the CERTS model. And the way I like to describe that is when we are well-regulated emotionally, but also physiologically, okay, mm -hmm. then we are most available for learning and for engaging with people, okay? Yeah. So when we have challenges to being well-regulated emotionally and physiologically, and what could cause those challenges? The sensory environment, it could be people who talk too quickly at us. If we're sensitive to touch, tactile defensiveness, it's people who touch us too much. It could be breaks in routine. There are, and we discussed this in many of our writings and in the manuals, there are probably a category of 10 different things that could prevent a person on the spectrum from being well-regulated emotionally and physiologically. Okay. I think this week is a good example to all of us. I know a lot of people oh. are having a hard time being emotionally regulated this week. There are challenges to people this week. So well, we should absolutely. be able to understand this. Absolutely. And, and the things that regulate this, and the term we use is dysregulate people on the spectrum. The things that, I mean, it's, again, it's the same for all of us. What I like to say is we are all dysregulated by the same things that dysregulate people on the spectrum. What's the difference? We have better coping strategies. Sometimes. Okay? Sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> Absolutely. Because we have meltdowns too. Yeah. <laughs> but we have better coping strategies. So, for example, a child on the spectrum may look very, very anxious if a routine is changed um, or if the teacher sings songs in a different order mm -hmm. in the preschool. But a typically developing child might have the communication skills to say, hey, that's different. Why are we doing this differently? Or I want to sing that song now. So some of our kids learn to do that, yeah. okay? And it becomes coping strategies for them. Um, emotional regulation, and let me just say this with great pride, myself and my colleagues on the CERTS model, um, and in particular, uh, Amy Laurent and Emily Rubin. Amy Laurent, um, one of the colleagues on the CERTS model, is an occupational therapist then she got back, she went back and got a degree in special education. Then she went back and got a degree in a doctorate in psychology. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And so we built in a lot of sensory issues coming from the occupational therapy. And she and I have written extensively outside of the CERTS model manuals on emotional regulation. A dear friend of mine, one of the most accomplished people on the spectrum in the world, his name is Michael John Carley. Mm -hmm. Michael's written two or three books. He was just hired by NYU to be the director of neurodiversity throughout all of New York University. Wow. He says the major challenge for people on this, he has a son on the spectrum, he's in his 50s now. He says the major challenge, no doubt for all people on the spectrum is emotional regulation. Is that reflected in the DSM criteria? No. The no. only thing, sensory processing is one piece that has to do with being well-regulated emotionally. If you're hypersensitive to noise and to sound, you're going to be anxious and upset. Okay. The third um, domain, the TS of certs, mm -hmm. is transactional support. And that has to do with all of the ways that we, as parents and teachers, all of the way that people who share their lives with autistic children and people, the way we support them, the way I, as a professional, supports a distressed mom, a parent, mm -hmm. and we have what we call interpersonal supports, learning supports. Then we have what, you know, strategies for supporting families and also strategies for supporting each other in the workplace. Do you have a good team approach? I would say for me, you know, on my little checklist of a quality program is when there's a really good team approach and people respect each other and they learn from each other. So certs is social communication, emotional regulation, transactional support. I believe, and, you know, and people say to me, well, and by the way, we have a curriculum for skills in all of those areas. 
Um, and people say to me, well, do you have a curriculum for toilet training? And I say, no, we don't. But if a child is making good progress in social communication, for example, for understanding some simple directions, that's one part of it. And if a child can be kept calm and well-regulated in a bathroom, then you're well on the way to successful toilet training. Okay. Right. Uh, same, same thing for a 15 year old learning math in a classroom. If you could understand the language that's being used to teach math and you don't get anxious when you see that math worksheet with 20 examples and you're going, I can't do this. And, and you know, and you could ask for help. That's a big, 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 big issue in staying well-regulated emotionally, knowing how to ask for help from other people when you feel frustrated. So we feel very, very strongly that you could look at almost any kind of task, academic, play, and you could look at a young child, or you could look at an adult on the spectrum. And basically, if those things are in place, you're going to learn better. And let me say this, you're going to have a better quality of life because there are fewer stressors. Even we all have stressors. <clears throat> those of us who do better have better coping strategies to deal with them. We have a couple of questions that have come in. Um, so any tips for teaching the teachers how to understand the kids who have this rigidity. They typically just expect high-functioning ASD kids to bend and, and treat their rigidity as silly. This exacerbates the problem. And same thing, how do you stress the importance to the school of parent-teacher collaboration for the ASD kids? It's a oh great question. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, um, you know, I, I think we could think of, I don't want to get too much into the weeds here, but rigidity could mean different things. Okay. Rigidity could mean, you know, I only want to sit at that seat at the lunch table every day, or I only want to eat this for lunch for my whole life, peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Okay. Mm -hmm. But there's also cognitive rigidity that has to do with, you know, well, we, oh, I always expect my routines in my life to happen in this sequence. And I get all confused if those routines don't happen that way. Um, I think a big piece of the CERTS model is understanding that kids who very often try to control situations, at least they're described as, as being controlling and are rigid, sometimes that's a coping strategy, okay? Um, and usually, and here's where we come back to us, it's not an autistic behavior. All human beings become more controlling and in need of more rigid routines, the more we feel anxious in our lives. Because what does it do? It allows you to have some control in one part of your life when you feel the other part of your life is out of control. I want to be clear. That doesn't mean it's okay for a, a teen on the spectrum to always insist in a classroom that things happen in a certain order. Okay. But what it does mean is we want to get at the things that are making him so anxious that he needs to be rigid about it. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? That's the deeper why. That's yeah, the deeper absolutely. Why. Well, we, we experience this all the time and I'm the person in our house who has OCD and, and I love being around my son who's now about to be an adult and, you know, he'll see me on a day when things are not going well for me internally and I'll have to go back and check the door three times Yes. and I'll get back into the car and my son will say, what's really going on, mom? Yes. What's, what's, what are you, what is it that what's kicking your keister? What are you really worried about? And he'll try, try to talk it out with me. Yes. Um, <laughs> I won't notice it. I'm not noticing it because I'm just in my head and in my, and I, you know, check the door and then I go back to the car and I'm like, did I check the door? I need to go back and check it again. And then I'm like, I better check it one more time. Um, and I'm not noticing that it's because I'm processing all those other things, but my kid is the one who will say to me, that's what's happening, which I find, uh, super interesting. But to her point that like, you can know that as the parent, how do you make that clear to the teacher? How do we get the teachers? And I'm a former teacher. How mm -hmm. do we get teachers on this way, this path of thinking and looking at it this way, Dr. Present? Because this seems like Everest. You know how? How? You teach the teachers. Uh, and let me give you some concrete examples of that. And again, I learned so much from creative parents over the years. I mean, I'm, I'm talking, let's see, I'm thinking of a young man who is in his mid-20s now. This is more than 20 years ago, maybe 25 years ago. I was consulting to a four-year-old. Um, and uh, the mom, because uh, 
her son had a lot of anxiety and he shut down a lot and and uh you know he would do things like run into the bathroom and slam the door closed and he learned how to lock the door uh-huh. uh, to kind of get away from stuff um and i'll never forget that what this mom wanted to do and at first the staff and and, and she did this, did this every year for a number of years first the staff didn't felt well i don't know about this this was in the day of overhead projectors and transparencies. And she said, can I come in and give a little presentation about my son, Max? Mm. Okay. And I was consulting. And so I, I was sitting with the team and she literally went down. Here are the things that increases anxiety and here's what helps at home. And she, her talk was all about the why. Okay. Um, and here are the things that sometimes he'll hesitate doing something. But if you're kind of a little bit more insistent and you support him, he'll do it. Yeah. Okay. It doesn't mean you just back off all the time. Okay. So the bottom line is that I think, and this is, you know, it's a cliche, but I think there's also a reality to it. When parents are seen as true collaborators on a team and share their expertise about their child and also understand that they work I mean, everybody has to pick their battles, right? (laughs) Parents have to pick their battles with professionals. Professionals have to pick their battles with parents. Nobody's ever right 100% of the time. But I think the mutual respect is so important. Now, let me put myself on the parent side here. If you are working with a professional who says, well, I'm the autism expert, you're just a parent, then there's a lot of work to be done. Yeah. Okay. And let me just say we build into the certs model in our assessment process and every aspect of the search file, we have whole chapters on developing trusting relationships with parents. And I've written many other articles since on that. Um, And, you know, I feel I'm qualified to do that now because I sit one weekend a year as one of two professionals with 60 parents, not at a conference, at a retreat where I have the privilege of hearing the parents tell their war stories and supporting each other. well, I mean, in addition to that, I have uh, advanced postdoctoral training and family-centered support. So that helps. There we go. <laughs> well, and unfortunately, we have more questions, but we are out of time. But I want you to um, give us some resources of where people can find out more about you, more about certs. Obviously, they can get your book, Uniquely Human. And there mm-hmm. is a chapter in there about cert. Um, but where can they find out more information? Um, yeah, well, um, as far as concrete information, you can go to my website, which is just my name, barryprezant.com, click on resources, and then under resources, click on downloads. I have about 60, 80, 90 articles that you could literally download and print. Um, And and especially for most of you who are parents and not professionals listening, if you are, um, for five years, I wrote a column for Autism Spectrum Quarterly magazine before it went defunct. And so there are 30 four-page articles that are non-technical that are written based upon my experiences. I would say, of course, read Uniquely Human. Um, So much of what I try to put into my writings previous in Uniquely Human, uh, I mean, Uniquely Human is a storybook, and you alluded to that. It's a storybook. It's a book about stories of families and children. Um, And you'll really kind of get the sense of where we're coming from, not just myself, but my colleagues and I, in our work from Uniquely Human. Please listen to the podcast. We're having wonderful experts right. on. Podcast. Tell them how to get to your podcast. Oh, yeah. yeah the, uh, so I started a podcast as a partner with an autistic man, an engineer named Dave Finch. So it's an autistic neurotypical partnership. Um, and it's go to uniquelyhuman.com. Sign up, become part of our community. There's a place to sign up. Um, we just started it a month and a half ago. We have Our fourth podcast is coming out probably tomorrow. We are having guests who are parents. We are having guests who are researchers. We have some wonderful stuff called uh, Enthusiasm of the Week, where we ask people to talk about their son or daughter's passion and enthusiasm and how they use that in positive ways. Wonderful. Um, so it, it's it's gotten good reviews for the first few, first few podcasts. Thank you so much for being here with us. And we hope that people will check those sites out. I want to thank you for taking the time to be with us. We're totally out of time. I want to remind everybody that we are doing a special town hall tonight at the, on conservatorship. And if that's something you want to go to, visit us on 
Facebook and sign up. There is a registration that you have to do, but it's free. But thank you so much, Dr. Prezant. Thank, thank you, Shannon. all of all of you. We're going to be back tomorrow with Autism Live with Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. And we've got a uh, wonderful guests to go through some of the more recent research that we're going to be going through tomorrow. But thank you all for being here. Thank you so much, Dr. Prezant. We, I will see all of you later on today. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now. Bye -bye. Take care. Thanks. Bye-bye.